Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 545. If the car business is something that you think is appealing to you, you know, go for it. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. I'll never worry again about having a dead battery with my NOCO Genius Boost Jump Starter. This compact tool fits in my glove box and features rechargeable lithium battery technology that'll jumpstart a dead battery in my car, boat, truck, or RV. The Genius Boost features built-in spark-proof technology and reverse polarity protection to safely jumpstart any of my vehicles. The compact, ergonomically designed clamps are built from solid copper for maximum conductivity. There's a built-in ultrabite dual LED flashlight with seven modes, including an SOS and emergency strobe. I use my Genius Boost Jump Starter to charge my phone, tablet, and laptop while I'm on the road or if the power goes out in my home. The unit itself is easily rechargeable in my vehicle. The Genius Boost from NOCO is the ultimate emergency tool that's safe and easy to use. Quality design, state-of-the-art technology from NOCO, the battery car source since 1914. I've got one in each of my vehicles. Get yours at GeniusChargers.com. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I am revved up and so excited to introduce today's very special guest, John Wilhoyt. John, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? Absolutely. All right. Great to have you here. John Wilhoyt is the president of Wilhoyt Auto Restoration in Long Beach, California. Since 1976, John and his talented team have been restoring and caring for Porsche 356s and older 911s. His goal has always been to be the best, and they provide an extremely high level of quality and function on their restorations. Wilhoyt Restorations have won numerous Concours events, and they've been featured in automotive magazines, YouTube videos, on Petrolicious, and he's even been featured on Jay Leno's Garage. I'm proud to say I've owned a John Wilhoyt build, so I know firsthand of the quality he puts into his cars, and I'll mention that a little bit later as we're talking here. But first, John, I've told our listeners a little bit about you. Would you take a brief moment to share just a little bit more about your business and, of course, your passion for automobiles? Yeah, Mark, uh, I started out in actually in 1974 when I was a senior in college and just was totally into the hobby that my first car I a Porsche I bought in 71 and uh, everybody will love to hear I paid $950 for it <laughs> oh. 1961 Cabriolet nice but uh, that started it and um, ever since then I've just been a diehard Porsche fan and, and I was able to turn what I really was crazy about into a business yeah yeah it's been a long journey I've been doing it since back my whole life basically <laughs> and uh, i never learned from anybody i just kind of figured it out on my own but uh, as i say i read a lot of books and ask a lot of questions so yeah. you know i'm always happy to listen to what somebody has to say to give me a, an idea about doing something better sure but yeah it's uh you know we're i have a small shop i have five full-time employees and we do everything from full restorations down to just uh, servicing before a whole bunch of people call me and say, I want to bring my car in for service. <laughs> yeah. We, 
can we usually have a kind of a, a long wait period for service. So yeah. a lot of times we end up servicing cars that we've restored in the past. And I'd love to be able to do more, but I'm just so picky about the employees that I have and the quality of the work, and I micromanage everything. So <laughs> we're kind of as big as we can possibly get. Yeah. You know, I'll tell our listeners real briefly a wonderful story here. I've known John for a long time, and way back when, he knew that I was looking for a Beck Spider, and he called me and said, Mark, I have a car. I built this car for this guy. He'd like to sell it now. It's awesome. We used all these Porsche parts. I think this is your car. And I bought it sight unseen, saw some pictures, but of course I trusted you because I knew the quality. And I flew my then eight-year-old son, Blake, just graduated from college, by the way, John, which you'll go, where did that yeah, time? <laughs> yeah. Blake was a little, yeah, he was a little eight-year-old guy and we flew down there. You picked us up in a really cool Volkswagen thing, drove us back to your shop from the airport. And we jumped in that car, and I'll never forget this. You looked at us, and I said, well, John, we're getting ready to drive uh, 1,300 miles back to Gig Harbor in this car that I've never driven. No top, no heat, no radio. Uh, is there anything that I need? And I'll never forget your words. You said, yeah, good attitude. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that car got us home with no problems. Absolutely fun car. Had it for many years. Kind of wish I still had it. And Blake has never forgiven me for selling that car because of <laughs> that experience that you enabled us to have. So thank you very much. Yeah. Fun. As we continue on your journey, I always like to start by asking my guests for some kind of a success quote or a mantra. It's some kind of saying that's been instrumental in your life. And it's a really nice way to get the inspirational tires turning here in Cars Yeah. So John, take the wheel. Um, I don't really have a quote from anybody that I could say, you know, specifically, but sort of the thing that I built my business on, and, and this is just because of my own personality and obsessive nature, I want everything to be right. And I am running a business, and that's about the money, but it isn't just about the money. I I really am picky, and I really have to have everything right, and there. There are a lot of a lot of times when we, if we can't get something right on a car, and you can interview customers of mine about this, I'll I'll bring the car back here, and we'll uh, you know we'll make it right. Mm -hmm. And that's that's something that I've tried to instill in my employees that we're you know it's about the money, but we we want to produce a product you know that's that's as close to being perfect as we can get it. Right. You know, a lot of times we end up spending a lot of extra time on cars that we can't really charge for. But I guess that's sort of my philosophy on on doing things. And uh, I get really irritated when we get a car in here that's been done by someone and that they didn't do right. We end up having to fix something. Right. Yeah, that's sort of my mantra, I guess you'd say. But I, I can't really write it on a wall and have to look <laughs> at it. It's just more of a kind of a philosophy of business. Well, it it rings true. You know, I, I'm very involved in the car industry, the car world. I know a lot of people. Of course, I've interviewed now 540 people here on Cars. Yeah, but I've been involved in the car industry for, gosh, 30 years. And one of the things I can say about you, John, is whenever I mention your name to somebody, the eyebrows go up and they go, oh, yeah, he does everything the right way. And so that reputation that you built from the beginning, that pickiness you described, has come through in making everything right because people in the car world that know 
Will Hoyt Restorations know that everything is right, everything is perfect. So you've done well with that mantra. Maybe you should put that up on the wall. Maybe that needs to yeah. be needs to be on your business yeah, cards. <laughs> well, you know, I, I had uh, Rob Dickinson who builds the Singer uh, Restoration Porsches, and uh, he actually spray painted in the early months of his business. Everything is important on the wall because he was frustrated with the first car they were putting together that it wasn't right. So, uh, yeah, I, I love that mantra. It's great, and it certainly comes through in the cars that you've built. Would you share a story with me that instigated your passion for cars? And I know I remember long ago you told me your dad was into Rolls Royce Bentleys, but is there a pivotal moment? In your life, when you knew that you were a car guy? Well, the first car I had was an Alpha Veloce uh, Spider uh, 59. And uh, it was a Giulietta Veloce Spider. And, you know, I wanted to get a car. And I told my dad, you know, I had, I had $500 cash. This was in 1969. And so my dad and I were, I mean, I would have been happy with any kind of a car. I just wanted a car. My dad was a car guy. He didn't have the obsession for having everything perfect like I have. But but my dad was a car guy. And he said, hey, look, check this out. Here's an Alpha. This would be a really cool car for you. I had no idea. You know, we went and looked at it. It was a mess, but it ran, but it needed a clutch. The clutch was slipping really bad. Mm-hmm. And so we negotiated a deal with the guy, and, and, and my dad was helping me along with the negotiation. He said, well, John only has $500. And the guy said, oh, no, I want, I want to, yeah, I really want to get 600 And I said, well, Dad, I have a mini bike. <laughs> you know, I mean, that seemed like a big deal to me at the time. Yeah. And the guy said, well, maybe we can negotiate. My dad said, look, how about the 500 and the mini bike? <laughs> and the guy went for it. So we we delivered the mini bike and towed the car home with a piece of rope behind my dad's Bentley. Oh, my gosh. And it was about five miles. But, you know, back back in 69, you could do so. Sure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Anyway. <laughs> and so my dad and I spent probably the last, you know, the next three months uh every weekend out there trying to figure out what putting the clutch in it and yeah. and uh got it running and I remember we painted it in the driver of spray cans. <laughs> but it was a great car. That was my first car and, and it really it, it was a great handling car. I remember it had fairly chinchorados on it. And that's what I drove as my regular car and it I was always into cars before that. Mm-hmm. Even before I started driving, I was reading road and track and everything. Yeah. But I just, after driving that Alpha, it really got me interested in sports cars. Mm-hmm. And then I made the transition into Porsche several years later because yeah. when I could finally afford it. Sure. <laughs> which seems really, it seems ridiculous now at $950, but at the time there was a big, there was a big spread between nine fifty and five hundred and mini bikes. So. Oh, of course, of course. Well, that's cool. You're the first one I've ever heard of that traded in a mini bike for an Alpha. That's pretty cool. But uh, <laughs> I like that story. Thanks for sharing that. Now, John, you've picked a profession of entrepreneurship, running your own business. You've been doing this so long that it's very well oiled down. It's moving along. But I would love for you to go back and. Share with our listeners a big challenge or even a big failure that you faced along the way. And the most important part of this, of course, to help those out there facing the same kind of things is how did you overcome it and how did you 
move forward after that happened. Take us to that point in time, that painful point in time, and, and share one of those uh, stories with us, if you would. Well, you know, it was sort of a slow process, really turning everything into a business, because when I first started out, I when I got out of college, everyone I knew was, now you got to remember, this is 1975, Everyone I knew was, you know, getting a haircut, putting on a suit, and, you know, going to work for some sort of accounting firm or financial, you know, bank or something. And, mm-hmm. and I was just, uh, you know, I kind of had long hair and a beard, and uh, <laughs> I didn't want to go that route. And mm-hmm. so my senior year in college, I I wrote basically a, a kind of a, a, not really, it was like a term paper, but it was a, uh, in this class, we only had one paper to write. And, and I wrote it about, about a business that was still really cautious. That was what I came up with in my head. And I, at the time, I wasn't really thinking, oh, I'll turn this into a business. But So I went through all, you know, in this paper, I went, it was probably, you know, 20 pages. I went through all the different aspects of running a business and, and the accounting aspects and the marketing aspects and everything. And, and I never really realized at the time that that was going to be my full-time business. I It was just kind of a hobby, and I made money out of it at the time. You know, I was buying and selling cars. But when I got out of school and I started off in business, the, the thing that I really figured out was, you know, a lot of guys will start a business because they're really good at working on cars, and they've been a mechanic for somebody, and they... They think I'm going to go out and start my own business. And what happens is you're really good at working on cars, but you're not maybe really good at running a business. Exactly. Yep. And, you know, my dad always told me, well, you need to go to college because it's going to be really helpful. You know, I was a business major and, and I always said, you know, when am I going to need any of this stuff? You know, I don't. (laughs) I just want to, yeah, I just want to start working on, no, you got to go to college, you know? And so I have to say that that was a, a it, it's been several, it, it was several years after I really had the business going and everything that, that I kind of realized, you know, that was probably right. You know, and some of the aspects of business was probably a good idea. Yeah, exactly. It, it, it helped me out in some situations and, Thank goodness I've never had any sort of financial issue with the business as far as, you know, I never bought a bunch of money I couldn't pay back or anything like that. So I I would say the aha moment for me was not, didn't involve anything that really went wrong, but it was, the aha moment was kind of realizing that, you know, my dad was was right that I needed that. Yeah. That sort of a background, you know, if I was going to have any kind of a business. So. Oh, exactly. Well, you know, r- running a business has, oh my gosh, so many facets. And I think you touch on a really important thing there. A lot of people do think, oh, I'm good at this craft. Therefore, I will be good at business. And they are two very different kinds of things. So if you look back in time, is there one thing in particular over the years that has been a reoccurring challenge as it comes to business for you that you know, kind of that thing that kind of sticks in your side going, ah, oh, man, that again. Is there is there one thing you can share with our listeners that you faced that you finally realized, ah, oh, this is the way I've got to approach this challenge in business so that it doesn't keep coming back to haunt me? Yeah, one of the biggest challenges 
and I'd, I'd say anybody that has a business, any kind of business would probably agree with this, is number one, having the right kind of people, and then number two would be having people that you can allow to work and, you know, put your trust in. Yes. And I told you already, I'm a micromanager. <laughs> yes, you did. <laughs> my guys would tell you that. I try to be really nice about it, but I'm just, a lot of times, you know, I know the guys are like, oh my God, you know. Yeah, get out of here. Let <laughs> me do my job. Yeah, just let me do my job, you know. And, uh, and sometimes I'm, you know, I just, I get obsessed with having everything a certain way. And, and I know that becomes annoying, but. Well, one of the main things that I've faced, you know, throughout having the business is, you know, having the right people. I've had some of the right, really good people, and I've had some guys that I was like, man, why did it take me so long to let that guy go, you know? Yes. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm not disparaging these people that work for me. It's just they maybe weren't a good fit for my business. Right. The thing is, everyone goes through that process of, trying to vet, you know, employees, you know, when they hire them, it takes a certain amount of time to really figure out if they know what they're doing. But, but beyond that, once you get employees that are really good, you need, and this is what I found that I have struggled with, you need to sort of step back and let them do things and trust that they're going to do them the right way. They may not do them exactly the way that I want them to be done. Mm -hmm. But, you know, at some point, you know, I can't do everything. And I, exactly. And I do want to have employees. So, <laughs> yeah. You know, to make a business work, you have to kind of, you have to back off and, or ease up just a little bit on, on expectations. Not, not that, not in a bad way, but I mean, in, in more in, in a less obsessive way. Absolutely. And so I, I have a really good team of guys right now. You know, my shop manager, Chris Mayering, has been with me for, you know, over 10 years, and he's a terrific guy. My office manager, Mike Johnson, he's, I mean, he's been with me over 10 years. I, I don't know what we'd do if anything ever happened to him. Yeah. yeah. And then I've got two uh, brothers that do paint prep and everything, and the guys are just, Fantastic. We just cut them loose and stand back and <laughs> watch them do their thing. Yeah, you hit on some really, really important aspects of running a business here. And being a micromanager, as you know, is not really the right way to do things. But because you're picky, yeah. you feel a need to. But once you get those good people, I, I once had somebody tell me something. Imagine your best employees. Imagine if all your employees were like that. And I sat back and imagined, I went, oh, my gosh, that'd be incredible. And he said, so go do that. Make that kind of a business. And it's hard to do, but once you do it, oh, my gosh, the freedom it allows you to look at other pieces of your business, grow your business, expand your business, or just take a little bit of a relaxing moment and go, ah, okay, what's next for us is really right. great. So uh, very valuable lessons you've shared there. Thanks for doing that. Now, your cars have won many, many, many awards, but let's talk a, a little bit about your proudest business moment. Can you share that moment with us? What what was it, and, and what made you feel so good about it? Hmm. You know, I don't really have one particular moment that I would say is is my proudest. I know that the thing that 
that drives me and it is it is the the kind of the thing that makes it all worthwhile is providing something for someone that they that they're just really really happy with when we produce a car for someone and it, it's it's you know it's almost like giving birth if we get <laughs> restoration i mean yeah it sounds kind of weird but I mean, we get so emotionally involved in these cars, you know, and all the guys at the shop, I mean, sometimes we, I don't usually share these with the customers, but we come up with like nicknames for the a particular car yeah, you know, yeah. as it moves through the shop. And I would say the multiple customers over the years that we've done a car for where they you know, I see them through the course of ownership and going to the events, and and a lot of the a lot of my customers have become really good friends. Sure. And that's the thing that I am the most proud of. Not really just the the cars that we produce, and some of them are really great. But I mean, let's face it: from the day they're done, the cars start going downhill. <laughs> and uh, you know, and that's just the you know that's the second law of thermodynamics. Yeah, <laughs> that, that happens, you yeah. know, but, but it's the, you know, the relationships and the satisfaction, you know, that I can bring to customers. That's really what drives it. That's what makes me feel like a success. Yeah. And, and that's, I mean, I, I have a car that was, I, I ended up finding the first convertible D, which was the Speedster D. And I ended up restoring that car. I owned it for a number of years, restored it for a uh, seller that ended up selling it. He sold it to Wolfgang Porsche. And so that car's ended up in the museum. Oh, my God. Sort of on a revolving basis. And I remember Rolf Springer told me one time, uh, hey, he really likes that car because it always runs really good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so, so that's, you know, that's good. But I, I don't like to lay everything on famous people i mean because you know all the customers to me are important they they all uh, deserve the same amount of attention and respect and and the relationships that i have with all of them are important to me so yeah generally real proud of is that i have a lot of really i feel and i hope i have a lot of really satisfied customers Oh, I think you and do. That, and that's the most important thing to me. <laughs> well, I know you do. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. I like that answer. It was great. Now, let's have a little bit of fun here. You talked about that Alpha, but I'd rather talk about your first really special car. That first car that you got, and not necessarily your first car, but that car that you got that was really special to you. And maybe share a memory you have of that vehicle. Well, I can tell you exactly what the car was. It was a 63 Carrera T. Ooh. And I bought this when I was... I just started out in, in business, and I bought the car, I think it was in 76. So, you know, imagine, I, I I was 23 years old, and I'm buying this, I, I found this Carrera too, and I went and looked at it, it was a car that it still had, I think it had been resprayed once. It was a color called Glacier White, which is kind of like a light light pistachio. Oh, it's a beautiful color, yeah. Yeah, which at the time I I didn't care because I was going to paint it black. <laughs> and uh, but anyway, I when I found that car, 
the guy was asking, I think, 7,500 or 7,400 or something for it, which... You know, in 1976 was a lot. Oh, a lot of that was money. a that was a fortune. Yeah, and I had bought and sold a few cars, and you know, this was probably like the, the, the this was like a, you know not all the money, but it was getting real close to being all the money I had. Yeah, I had always wanted a career too. Uh, I went up and I made a negotiation with the guy, and he said, "Well, I, I want I want to be paid in cash." And I thought, "Oh, geez, okay, <laughs> well." So I went to the bank and I, you know, I said I needed, I need to get some cash, you know, and so they gave me this cash and I ended up with, uh, I, I remember I bought, I brought seventy two hundred dollars with me mm-hmm. because I thought if the guy, if the guy will do it for seventy two, I'll buy it, but I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna go any higher than that. And so I got a buddy of mine. He went with me and we went up to, um, I was up in like Pasadena. And we went up there and we, we sat down with a guy and I started to negotiate. We got to 7,300. I wanted to pay 72 and he wanted 73. Well, this buddy of mine had a hundred dollars with it. <laughs> I got him to kick in the hundred bucks and it, it had gotten so late. It was like probably one thirty in the morning when we were tired and been negotiating, you know, oh for hours. And, oh my gosh. And it took us like, it was or an ordeal to count out all this money, which, you know, at the time. Yeah, a little nervous, a too. Yeah, It doesn't seem like as much now, but at the time it wasn't. Of course. And so we made this deal, and believe it or not, I we towed the car home behind his Dodge pickup with a chain all the way from Pasadena. From Pasadena to Long yeah, Beach? Yeah, from Pasadena. Oh my Long Beach. It was incredible. Well, at least it was the middle and of the anyway, night. Anyway, that that, <laughs> that car, I restored that car completely, and I did a full the undercarriage, everything. The motor was in good shape. I just detailed everything cosmetically, and I sold it to a oh, probably a year later, I sold it to a guy, and I I got what was a record price at the time. I got sixteen thousand. Wow. For yeah. You know, time went on and I didn't think about it. And about five years ago, Len, Jay Leno calls me up and he says, John, this is Jay Leno. I'm looking at this career too. And somebody gave me your number and he described the car and it was black and it had, you know, RSK wheels and it had all these trick GT seats and all these trick options that I'd gotten for the car when I did it. Right. And I said, wow what's the license plate on that car? And, and I remember that the, the at that time, the personalized plates had come out and I got a plate that said 4CAM 63. Nice. And he told me, yeah, it's 4CAM 63. <laughs> it was and your I said, car. Oh, man, that's my old car. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so I went up to Leno's place and we, we went out and looked at the car and he ended up buying it. I'm not going to tell you what he paid for. <laughs> it was a little more than $16,000. substantially more. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> anyway, I told him, look, he said, do you think I should buy it? And I said, if you don't buy it, I'm going to buy it. So yeah. uh, you better buy it. And he bought the car and he's since, you know, got it running. And, and the amazing thing was the guy that I had sold it to was the guy that was selling it. Still had his it. Son. Wow. His son. He still had it. Yeah. It looked marked exactly like the day that I sold it. Wow. Nice. He had had it detailed every month. Oh my goodness. For all that time. 
And the only thing it hadn't done is it hadn't run in 25 years. So Jay and his uh, team there at his place had uh-huh. to get it running. Yeah. But it's, they got it running. It still runs great. And oh, it man. still looks great. And that's the video I did with him was was about that car and we went out and test drove it and everything and, nice. it, and it it was a neat car it's kind of that's one that's always always stuck in my mind uh, i would have loved to accept it yeah is that the car that you have the most seller's remorse about that got away i know you've sold and bought and sold lots of cars but is there is there one yeah. is that the one Nah, the one <laughs> that i have the most seller's remorse about i had a I had a 59 Carrera GT Speedster, and I had always wanted one of those, and I found an opportunity to buy one. Uh, A friend of mine, Bill Perone, had a customer with a car for sale, and I ended up buying the car, and it was a, you know, it it was the same kind of a situation, but years later, it it was a lot more money than I should have spent the time but you know we all know the car obsession of course make yeah financial sense always but <laughs> i got that car and and i had it for about a year and i had it at my open house just on display and i was in the process of building a new building on the property that i had here in long beach mm-hmm. and i needed the money to build the building and so in a weak moment i sold the car and I sold it to a, a guy I know over in Germany, mm-hmm. and it's gone through a couple different owners over there. And I always look back and wish I would have kept that car. And last year I was over in Germany and I was at a, at a metal shop, uh, and I saw this car in primer, and I was just looking around and I went over and looked at it. I remember the last three digits were nine three five. It was nine four nine three or uh, eight. Four nine three five was the serial number, uh-huh. and I looked at the car and I went, "Man, this car! I recognize this car." And I talked to the guy that owned the the paint shop or metal shop where I was uh, looking at the car, and he said, "Yeah, yeah, that's a belonged to this guy and this guy and this guy." And I said, "Oh man, I really wish I could buy that car back." And so that was the same car. It was the same car. Oh my gosh! And I and I. <laughs> Uh, man, I really wish I could buy that car back. And what did it sell for, you know? And he said, yeah, the guy just bought it about two months ago. And uh, you wouldn't even <laughs> throw up if I told you what, what it sold for. I said, okay, never mind. Never mind. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm give me that. another Bratwurst and a beer. I'm out of here. So Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know. Wow. I've, I've got this plan. I'm going to build my own. Because huh. I can't afford it. Yeah, yeah. Well, they've gotten I crazy. I can't afford a real one. Yeah, they've all gotten crazy. I mean, it's just nuts yeah, the way 356. Yeah, I've yeah, always wanted yeah. a 356. I told you this when I picked up the Beck that I was going to have you build me a 356 one day. And yeah. they've just gotten too crazy. They're too expensive now. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway. So, John, I know you have tons of projects you're working on. You've got about a year backlog on, on restorations. And I noticed that you have cars for sale from time to time on your website. Right now, you've got a very unique... 59 VW Benz, a bus. Can you touch real briefly on a couple of really cool projects you have going in your shop right now? Yeah, we, uh, right now we've got, uh, we're just finishing up a 57 GT Speedster, Carrera Speedster. Wow. It was a car that, uh, it ended up having a, a small engine fire, which interestingly, uh, the fuel flowed under the car, so it, 
it burnt a lot of the paint underneath it, basically facilitated the car needing to be completely restored from the ground up. And so we went through the car and we're just finishing it up. And it's, it's a really a neat car because those early GT speedsters were, were sort of, none, no two of them were, I think, exactly the same. The GTs were sort of a special factory-built car, and they were the steel-bodied cars. They didn't yet have the aluminum panels. Okay. It's a real neat car. I mean, I love those, all the Courier GTs. Those are the, the neatest cars oh, yeah. for me. Oh, yeah. And we're doing that, and then we're doing a C-Coupe for a customer in Australia, and we're converting the car to right-hand drive, or we have converted it to oh, right-hand drive. Oh, my gosh. And rather than just sort of, you know, hack it up and make it work as a right-hand drive car, I located someone that had an original right-hand drive car that had been parted out but had all, like, the whole front bulkhead and everything. And so we completely copied everything, including the special fuel tank, all the details with all the special welds and everything. And we, if you saw this car, you would not be able to differentiate it from an original factory right-hand drive car. And, of course, he's getting a whole bunch of trick parts from, uh, you know, he's getting a 2.1-liter engine and cool. and the sports suspension and, and, and a bunch of, he had a whole, whole list of things that he wanted done to his kind of, kind of like when you'd order a new car, but basically he yeah. just, he sort of commissioned us to, to build this car for him, and it'll be really a neat car. And I'm guessing we'll probably have it, hopefully, on display, you know, next year at the open house. But nice. we'll we'll try to try to get it out there so people can see it before yeah. it's done. Very cool. Well, you guys are always working on some really special things, so mm-hmm. appreciate you sharing those. Now, here's a very introspective question for you, John. Kind of a funny question, but I like asking it, especially of creative people like you. If John Wilhoyt was a car, what kind of car would he be, and why? Oh wow! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. What I perceive myself to be, I, you know, I'm not. I mean, I don't have a. I'm not a real like. Um, I don't have like a huge ego or anything, and so I. I wouldn't want to make myself some kind of a race car, a real high performance car. I'm, I think that's part of what drives me is I, I'm always trying to kind of measure up, you know, maybe it was a, maybe it's my parents' fault. I don't know, you know, or just something in, in me that makes me that way, you know, but I'd probably be that, that Veloci spider with a 1300 cc engine, or maybe I'd want to be an old, uh, uh, an old 356 with a 1300 always kind of trying to keep up with the big guy, <laughs> you know? I like that. That's a good answer. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect for the way I know you, John. So up next is the last lap. But before we put the pedal to the metal, let's say thank you to today's Cars Yeah sponsors. If you own collector cars and still have a little bit of money left over, congratulations. You're ahead of most people. But what should you do with the money you don't spend on cars? Talk to Chris Kimball, Certified Financial Planner Practitioner. For over 20 years, he's been helping people just like you and me with their financial planning and investments. And he's a car guy, too. Call 253-722-PLAN 
Or you can view his website at www.chrisvkimble.com. Make sure your investments are running on all eight cylinders, or 12, or 16. Securities through Money Concepts Capital Corp. Member, Finra Sipic. Do you love vintage cars? Then go to carsyad.com and get a free copy of the fantastic Filler Up book. It's a full-color ebook filled with fuel filler fun with over 60 color photographs of vintage cars plus inspirational quotes from some of the most famous automotive enthusiasts of all time. Simply go to carsyad.com, click on the free book button on the homepage, and download your Filler Up book today. It's free at carsyad.com. All right, John, we're back and we're entering the last lap, and I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. So here we go. What's the best automotive advice you've ever received? <laughs> well, it's uh, this doesn't have anything to do with restoration. That's okay. This is kind of going back to my dad. My dad always told me, never buy a new car. <laughs> yes. Always buy like a one or two year old car. Yeah, no, it's great all advice. The depreciation's gone out. And yeah. when I think back about a lot of the, the cars that I've bought over the years that, that I used as cars that I drove, that I used, yeah. that's worked pretty well. Don't let any of the manufacturers, especially Porsche, hear, hear me say this. Because uh, I'll probably get hate mail from those guys. (laughs) Some of my smartest financial friends have said exactly the same thing. I wish I had to learn that early on. Yeah, there's great cars out there, great used cars out there. Now, how about a personal habit that you believe has helped contribute to your business success over the years? Well, I mean, I know this has contributed to it, and that's, you know, that I'm just obsessed with having everything right. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that's a... That can be a negative, you know, uh-huh. <laughs> in a lot of aspects of life. Well, I think in the aspect of your business, it's absolutely imperative because that's what yeah. sets the bar for the kind of shop that you are. Now, how about a resource? Is there a resource in particular that you think the Car Shadow listeners would enjoy that you enjoy? Well, I mean, you know, obviously, you're the service you're providing <laughs> well, with having you. all of these people. You know, to listen to all these different opinions of, you know, successful guys that have been there and women that have been involved in the car industry. What a, I mean, what an opportunity we all have now with the internet. I mean, the internet has, has just changed so much in the car industry. And it's amazing to think that, okay, the, the, the car restoration business has been changed by the internet, but, it really has because not just, you know, my shop, but any shop, any person, anywhere, the 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 opportunity to make a car right or to do things correctly, to find out what was the right, you know, piece of hardware that went in this location or what was the right color for the, you know, the fan shroud or where was the decal placed. You can find any of that. I mean, yeah, yeah. most of it on the multiple talk forums or just by doing searches on the internet. Mm-hmm. It's rocketed like the the uh, the quality of the cars up so much. Yeah, the internet has become the new industrial revolution. I think for the world right now. Yeah, absolutely. And it's yeah. very kind of you, of course, to talk about what I'm doing here with cars. Yeah, because I'm bringing all these people together to talk about their businesses and hopefully inspire others. But you're right. 
Yeah. It has raised the bar. The internet has raised the bar for collectors because now you can get information so quickly. Most of it, mm-hmm. if you vet it correctly, is accurate. So you can find out if somebody's mm-hmm. really telling you the truth about a car they have mm-hmm. for sale. Yeah, the internet yeah. is absolutely phenomenal. It's just tremendous what it's done for all of us. It's so much fun now and it's yeah. connected people yeah. around the world. I'm sitting here on a Saturday morning. You're in Long Beach. I'm in Gig Harbor. We're getting to talk and have a conversation earlier today. I talked with a lady from uh, Turin, Italy, who runs the Italian design school there. I mean, it's just phenomenal what's what's happening. So very cool. Now, how about a book? Is there a book that you've read recently that you think the Carshall listeners would really enjoy reading as well? Oh, man. I mean, there's there are so many books. I've gotten briefly into early 9-11s. Mm-hmm. And, I, I mean, I like the history of Porsche and how how the cars were developed. And there's been so much information on the the 356. I mean, it's just, that's where all, my focus always was. A book, though, that goes through the 9-11 and, and all of the problems they had and all the things they had to deal with and the development of the 9-11 was writ- written by Paul Frey. And, and uh-huh. he was a journalist, but he did a lot of, he was very closely tied with Porsche. Mm-hmm. And it's called the Porsche story, and it and it really deals with uh, some aspects of the beginnings of the company, but mostly with the nine eleven. And it's a fantastic book because it's a kind of an insider's view, with sort of lets you see all the all the dirty laundry, so to speak. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The issues that they had problems with, and 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 that sort of thing. And, and that's been a book that I really enjoyed, and it's not a new book, but it it's been one that over the last few years I've read and reread a lot because it has so many interesting things about the development of the nine eleven. Yeah, it's a book that uh, that sits on my shelf as well. I really like that book, mm-hmm. and yeah, I like the detail they go into as well, and I love the early nine eleven. So yeah, but there, yeah, there've been you know there are I mean there's, there's so, so many, many books. <laughs> I know to really. Well, that's why I said one. So I think you picked a great one. Yeah. Well, listeners, you can find links to all these great resources John's been so kind to share today at carsyad.com on his very own show notes page. Just type John Wilhoit, W-I-L-L-H-O-I-T in the search bar and his page will pop right up. All right, John, we're almost there. We're up to the checkered flag. And this last question can be a real doozy. If you could have only one collector car in your garage, just one, but you can't sell it to buy a bunch of other cars with, so a lot of little tricks off the table. But money's no object. I'm going to buy you any car in the world today. What would that vehicle be? And more importantly, why? Well, there's two cars that I, <laughs> and I know I can't have one car, but I'm just going to, I'll tell you why, why I'll pick the one. Okay. But my two favorite Porsches are the 59 GT Coupe and the 59 GT Speedster. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are my two favorite cars. I, I have a 59 GT Coupe right now, and and I love that car. And I did mention to you that I'd sold the 59 GT Speedster <laughs> that I had. Yeah. If I were to choose between the two of them, I'd, I'd have to go with the Speedster just because, uh, well, for obvious reasons is a speedster it was the first plane bearing engine but it was it was the last version of that 1600 plane bearing engine some of the later ones had the the 692 3a engine and it's such a lightweight nimble car 
I mean, it's all Porsche. It, it's it's a fun car to drive. It's really lightweight in every aspect. I mean, the the, the upholstery is the lightest version of the upholstery. It has the aluminum panels, and it's a car that you know, unlike the fifteen hundreds, the sixteen hundreds started to, to have a little bit better torque right off the line. You didn't have to wind them quite as much, but it's just a fun car. It, it, it you wouldn't want to have to drive from California to Monterey, probably. Mm-hmm. Uh, at least, for sure, not with your wife. <laughs> but uh, Maybe your eight-year-old son. Is, <laughs> yeah, your eight-year-old son would love it. Yeah. I mean, my, my son's a lot a little older than eight, and he would do it in a second. Yeah. But it's just a fun car. If I were going to have one one car, it would have to be a Porsche. And if I were going to have one Porsche, that would be the model I'd want to have. Very nice. I love it. Uh, wow, what a car. Uh, fantastic. Well, John, you have taken me on an awesome ride today. I've really enjoyed your stories. It's good to catch up with you. I want to thank you for sharing your journey with the Cars Yow listeners. Could you offer us one parting piece of guidance before you drive off in the sunset in that 59 Porsche? Well, I would say if the car business is something that you think is appealing to you, you know, go for it. I mean, you're when I look back and think, what would I have done differently? I, I, you know, my mom always wanted me to be, wanted me to be a doctor or a lawyer. But of course, all moms do. I can't imagine that. You yeah, know? yeah. I mean, I would, I would be miserable. Yep. And uh, and I remember talking to a friend of mine the other day, and we're walking into the shop, and I said, "Wouldn't it be cool if if we didn't have to work, and all day long we could just." look at cars and figure out how to make them perfect and get all the little things, the little details exactly right and everything. I looked at him and I said, wait a minute, that's what we're doing. That's what we're doing. (laughs) (laughs) You, my friend, have figured out the secret to life's happiness. Absolutely. I, I love that. What a great way to segue out here. And what's the best way for our listeners to learn more about you and your business? Well, they can go to my website, yep. uh, com, or uh, come by the shop. We we have an open invitation to visitors, and I mean, we we any time of the year we usually get at least a couple of visitors a, a week. So yeah. Yeah. don't be shy about coming by. We will always make the time for you. Yeah, and he will. I'll tell you, it's a great shop to visit. And once a year, you guys during that special literature week. You have an open house, which is pretty cool, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's uh, If you're in town, that would be a great, great thing. Yeah. We'll give you a free bratwurst. There you go. Well, listeners, you can find links to everything John shared again today on his Cars yeah! website or on the Cars yeah! website on his very own show notes page. John, thanks again for being so generous today with your time and your expertise and for sharing your experiences with our listeners. Until we talk again, I'll see you down the road. All right, Mark. Thanks. You're welcome. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah. Yeah.